0: Um, we're, we're reintroduced to Ed Regis as well um, That's uh, Simply Red's Mick Hugnell As Ed Regis.
1: They're, they're definitely not paying him in advance Are they? No 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 It'll be the end of the month plus a few days Just in case you don't survive Maybe they'll work on a sort of Raptor delivery
0: system for paychecks Like, If you can get it off him you can have it There you go <laughs> Woo actually gets quite angry when Malcolm continues to press him as well. He says, you know, we're not idiots, we know what we're doing. I love that. The self-important indignation of a man who's just
1: created dinosaurs whose names he can't even remember. How,
0: how very dare
1: you, sir?
0: Hello and welcome to episode two of Shark Liver Oil's read-through of Michael, Ka- Michael Crichton's Michael Jurassic who? Park. <laughs> Michael Crichton. It says <laughs> Jurassic Park. It is and uh this is the second part we're breaking this book then into five parts and we're going to sort of analyze each one in turn so if you're reading along with us this week we're reading uh from the chapter called uh when dinosaurs ruled the earth uh as far as the chapter called stegosaur read as far as stegosaur and no further and that's the thing i'm matt i'm dave hello how are you doing dave how are you
1: doing I'm, I'm doing all right, Matt, I'll tell you. I, I'm quite encouraged that there will be dinosaurs this time. Oh, yeah. Because last time they were just sort of mysterious lizards, you know, all of the tension of the stuff. And, and nobody, nobody comes, Matt, to Jurassic Park for foreshadowing. Yeah, They come for dinosaurs in your face.
0: Yeah, it was quite annoying how we, we did the first part, obviously, uh, last week, and pretty much just as the dinosaurs showed up, we finished. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: completely on you, by the way. I'd like to make that very clear to our audience, right? That, yeah. Those decisions, they are not made by me in this chair over here. They're made by you in that <laughs> chair over there.
0: Yeah. Um, so, you when bastard. dinosaurs rule the earth, let's, let's get straight into it. Sorry, um, sorry. So, we, we we enter the room where Gennaro, the lawyer, is given a little speech Um, saying, you know, these dinosaurs are all well and good, but what we're all here for is to work out whether this place is safe. A lot more level-headed than film Gennaro, who just sees the pound signs and just thinks, (laughs) brilliant.
1: Yeah, and again, because I read the book after I saw the film, that did kind of confuse me, because... um oh i 've completely forgotten the name of the the, the actor that does it he 's a great actor um, mm. but he just, he plays him so perfectly as this kind of wavery voiced spineless goon. Yeah. And 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 then in this, he's this sort of quite muscular 30 year old with a level head who wants to get rich and stay safe. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know which one of those is more ridiculous, really, because, you know, like on the one, you know, kind of muscular 30 year old lawyer level head, you know, far more rounded character. But I find it hard to believe that such a character would end up on an island full of dinosaurs by mm. himself. You know, lawyers, they're not known for being the most self-sacrificing people, right? No. <laughs>
0: Whereas film generic, you can just imagine him being that stupid, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, no, definitely. Um, so he he says uh, the the case for the prosecution, if you like, stick with the lawyer stuff, is um, <laughs> that dinosaurs may have gotten off the island because there are these uh, sort of increase in lizard bites on the mainland, and they're happening in biweekly spikes, which is strange. Mm. And Malcolm just pretty much sits back and says, yeah, well, it's because dinosaurs have definitely escaped. And was like, oh, how do you know? And he's just like, I know, chaos theory, I know. It's <laughs> <That's> his answer <laughs> for everything, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wonder if he if he actually does still sort of give give serious consideration to it, or is he a human being who just happens to have looked across a perfect way of saying that he's always right about everything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, who's going to win the national Oh, oh! it'll be it will be that one over there. Why? Chaos Theory. He <laughs> well, looked funnily at ba- a butterfly earlier on, and that's almost a guarantee.
0: <laughs> Surely he would say it's impossible pre- to predict, because tiny variations in the form <laughs> of the horses will the have massive effects. <laughs>
1: Brush his hair this way, he's a winner. Brush his hair that way, it's all over. But there will be a slight rainfall in Glamorgan.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, so we're just having this talk about how the island may not be entirely safe and this is when the helicopter arrives with uh, two children and Gennaro hits the fucking ceiling. He's <laughs> <It is> furious. <laughs> 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 and, and I think
1: if, it would have been difficult to do this as a funny scene given the kind of serious tone so far, very kind of journalistic tone of the book. Mm. But You'd love to have seen it, wouldn't you? Just yeah. just cast Gennaro as a sort of off-the-deep-end sort of bloke, just just pulling his hair, wandering around. I can't fucking believe you brought children to an island that's literally full of monsters. <laughs> actual monsters. Actual children. What's the fucking matter with you?
0: Yeah, that is pretty much his, his take on this. So what's happened is uh, John Hammond, uh, kindly old granddad, who maybe a capitalist megalomaniac as, <laughs> as <laughs> <The> <laughs> kindly old grandfather capitalist man Yeah, I mean that's a, the only only sort of uh, Richard Attenborough could have pulled that one off, couldn't he? <laughs> with a plum, with a plum. Yeah. But so we, we're sort of moving into the chapter called the tour here, and the reason uh, Hammonds brought these two grandkids over is to it's clearly to soften up the. Um, The the people checking the safety of the park, isn't it? He's Mm. basically banking on these children, injecting a bit of the essence of the wonder of it all into it. When I I get the impression he thinks, you know, when Grant and Ellie sees a look on these kids' faces, they'll fully understand the sort of power of the park and why it's here. The good parts, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. For you, right? Is that
0: in the slightest bit excusable? Um well if you are genuinely that convinced that it's safe and you know it's it's hard because on the one hand I mean we see the control room in a bit and we see all the security measures and it's very hard to see how anything could go wrong classically um but at the same time a raptor did escape before and really? kill three people and he knows that but yeah. ma- but maybe it's going back to that thing um that we said in the last cast, where it's a very sort of uh black and white engineer's stroke scientist's approach to life this where um a, a, an animal gets out i e there's a problem and they fix the problem yeah. and it's fixed, so everything's yeah. fine. There's no sort of worry about the future, yeah yeah um, so
1: yeah, got a problem, fix a problem. Bring children to the site of the previous problem. <laughs> <That's>, yeah, <laughs> putting your not? fucking money where your mouth is, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very. It's fair to say Hammond's very much all in at this point, isn't he? <gasps> bloody um, hell!
1: I mean, yeah, but like, just the very idea of going for that for emotional manipulation—you know, mm. like, yeah, I mean, fair enough. He's, you know, you. It's known that your average kind of very wealthy businessman got where he is usually by making decisions and having them pay off. Mm, taking a few risks. Yeah, and that does lead to a I think a false belief that you made all the right decisions because of something that's inborn in you rather than the fact that you were lucky. Mm. And so um so maybe what we're seeing here is this sort of tragic end game of that kind of hubris. Mm. Uh, which, is of course, is a whole a huge theme of the whole of Jurassic Park and one of the things I really love the book for as well. Um, mm. but, but fuck, you know, like, oh, okay, so I've got this dodgy proposition, and it's not just dodgy-ish, it's dodgy people have died already dodgy. And so the way I'm going to offset this is by getting some people who I basically own to come and sign off on it, and to make sure of that, because I don't trust my money enough, I'm going to put my grandchildren next to them in mm. order to emotionally as well as financially manipulate them into doing what I want them to do. Yeah, like, there's just it's the sort of capitalism where there really is nothing is sacred, nothing is immune.
0: Hmm. But I do think that Hammond has convinced himself that it isn't dodgy. I think he genuinely believes that, or he's, he's convinced himself on some level yeah. that it isn't that everything's perfect here.
1: I would agree with that, given the way he talks. Hmm. But given the way he talks, bloody hell! Yeah. Do you know? I mean, I mean, in all seriousness. How can you possibly convince yourself of that?
0: Well, everyone in the park seems to have. The, you, you don't really... I don't, I
1: don't, everybody else is bored, aren't they?
0: Yeah, but if you if you still thought you, there's a chance you might get eaten by something that's just come back from 200 million years ago, you'd probably take the check and go, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> that's I wonder if they have, like, a delayed payment system
1: for wages on the island. <laughs> like they're definitely not paying him in advance, are they? No, no, yeah. no. It'll be the end of the month plus a few days just in case you don't survive. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe maybe they'll work on a sort of raptor delivery system for paychecks. Like If you can mm. get it off him, you can have it. There you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so the tour is told from Tim's point of view, who's the 11-year-old. Mm. Um, slightly different to the book, this. Uh, Tim's the uh, older child. And Lex mm. is the is the younger. So in, in the in the film, if you remember, uh, Lex is the sort of older computery nerdy girl yeah. and Tim's the the younger one and he's the dinosaur nut. Basically mm. in the book, Tim's both, and Lex is just sort of a his little sister who I mean she mm. she's got quite a good few lines in back chat, but beyond that she doesn't really do much.
1: <laughs> she she is a, a very, very well sketched, infuriating younger sibling like yeah. just really good at that and, and that would be amazing that would be really great if she hadn't been so com- like just so comprehensively traded up as a character mm. in um in, in the movie where she's like really cool and like saves the day and stuff and mm. now she's just back being a little girl who can't really talk properly you know
0: yeah, it's interesting. I was watching an interview with uh, the girl who plays Lex in the film, and she was oh, yeah. uh, probably, probably we'll go into this more when we we'll actually cover the film, but um, she was saying that she was quite surprised that, or pleased that um, her sort of appearance in that film as the person, the one who was good at computers and all this. Um, encouraged a lot of girls her age to actually go into computer science and stuff like that when the other eyes wouldn't because it's such a traditionally male-dominated industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's Isn't that just cool.
1: fucking brilliant? And I mm. mean, and nowadays, of course, the people who saw that and got inspired into computer science are sort of early 30s, you know, the the really gifted ones will be technology leads at big companies and stuff. And that's mm. just like, that's great. I love that because these are people now working for Google and mm. uh, and other other companies with um, better profiles but still
0: <laughs> other companies are available other companies <laughs> other,
1: other search engines are available Just despite covering, uh, what they tell you all the bases absolutely <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I, love, I love this memory that Tim has if we get a bit of Tim's background and, and Lex um, he remembers going to this uh, museum because he's absolutely well into dinosaurs with his dad and mm. counting the number of, uh, like, uh, bones in the, uh, in the spine of the Tyrannosaur and saying that there was one missing. And is uh, it turns out he was right. And he's, it just, this, this, uh, little scene just shows how clueless his dad is about this sort of stuff. Yeah. And how, like, his dad's this sort of go getting sports nut and yeah. Lex is pretty much the same. So they've got this really close connection. And Tim's sort of, you get the feeling Tim's dad doesn't quite know. What to do with him? This doesn't understand him at all. It struck me as the like 20th century civilized version of like Samuel Tarly in Game of Thrones and his dad. It just it just doesn't doesn't work and doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's that's fairly dramatically civilized though <laughs> yeah 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 that's 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 some fairly civilized behaviour on his part there i think yeah um, but there's
0: there's there's still just the element i can i think both of those characters would look at their eldest sons and think. I can't quite believe that you're my son. <laughs> yeah, so where did this come from? Where is where where is all of this coming from? Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, and I mean it's a very one-dimensional character, isn't it, Tim's dad? But it serves a purpose yeah. in the text, you know, to yeah. set up the, the kind of new nuclear family of of um, uh, of Grant and these kids, you know. Um, yeah. And I, I do also love this the little sort of academic mentorship thing that happens with. Mm. With Grant and Tim when they're talking about that T Rex, where it's mm. like you know, um, uh, you know, he Tim go Tim just counts the vertebrae, not because he's heard of the legend of this specimen, but just because he's like, oh, I wonder how many bones there are in that spine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is a fairly like extraordinarily committed thing to go for, and, um, and and Grant's like, oh, was it specimen number? And Tim's like, yes, yes, it was. And it's like, how have you two? Met you know in any universe you'd usually meet when you go on his paleontology course at the start of university. <laughs> yeah, and so I did. I, I did kind of love that the like the affirmation of this kid in the context where he really feels at home.
0: Yeah, um, we're, we're reintroduced to Ed Reggie's as well. Um, that's uh, simply Reds Mick Hugnell. As Ed <laughs> Reges, as I love forever. Thinking of you. Let me tell you <laughs> the, the very idea of
1: Mick Hugnell going into PR. I can't understand why nobody's done that already. That isn't that. <laughs> Is a, is a sitcom waiting to happen.
0: <laughs> I quite like how Ed Regis is really irritated because now he's a tour guide. And he, <laughs> he, 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 he sort of really narks him that he feels that his is the one profession, PR, that no one sees as professional. <laughs> <laughs> <And> that's, <laughs>
1: now, that's interesting because ordinarily, it's, the, the problem with PR isn't that people think that you're kind of Mickey Mouse in some way, because I'm a writer. So I'm, I've, I'm, I have some familiarity with this syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, the problem that you actually get in PR is that every not, everybody thinks you're a professional, but they think you're a professional scumbag. And that's the problem <laughs> that you've got. <laughs> it's not always, yeah. oh, I know you, you get a Saturday boy to do that. It's like, oh, you are the Prince of Darkness, I see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think Ed would quite like to be uh, to get at least get any kind of target, even even the Prince of Darkness at this stage.
1: <laughs> so yeah. I said, he's a sort of T boy to the Prince of Darkness. is his problem at the moment.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, now we, we continue along this tour, and uh, we go to the genetics lab and meet this guy called Henry Wu. He's a he's the chief geneticist. He's um he's got a very very small sort of walk-on role in Jurassic Park the film, but he's actually mm. in the book quite a lot, yeah. so, and he's the guy who's been in charge of bringing these dinosaurs back, basically mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we get we get a bit of the theory into it basically the way they've done it is um, by mining amber um, and looking for little sort of bugs and mosquitoes that would have been alive at the time and sucked blood from dinosaurs and then got stuck in tree sap and yeah. uh and that's that's how they've got the DNA. Yeah.
1: Were you? Did you follow the news story that came out about? I, I think it was like five or six years ago or something, where hmm. they finally disproved the viability of this this oh, method. Gutted. I know my childhood died that day. <laughs> really, absolutely did. I thought Mr. DNA had told me everything I needed to know about cloning and resurrection yeah. of extinct animals, but no.
0: Yeah. No. No, the bad scientist came and took it away <laughs> um yeah the the, the, the difficulty they 've had with this uh, in this reality where it has actually worked is the, you never get a complete DNA strand so they 've had mm. to basically make it up as they go along for the rest of it, so yeah. they get sort of um i think later on uh, that one of that well, might even be Henry Wu describes it like getting a really faded painting and then trying to yeah. touch up the colors yourself. It's never going to look perfect, is it? Uh, yeah, if you've and, ever tried it. And it seems to me in this case that they're trying
1: to touch him up using only either luminous paint or those <laughs> felt tip
0: pens you used to get as a kid, which were supposed to smell of what they coloured in. <laughs> it's like, did you ever see that? There's a news story a few years ago where there was this priceless like painting which Mm. this this Italian woman tried to improve and it turned into this thing like a child's drawing. It's just like that, isn't it?
1: I did wonder (laughs) if that woman had perhaps sort of taken quite a lot of painkillers and then watched the Mr Bean movie. (laughs) Because that's what happens. That is the plot of the Mr Bean movie, but then she set out to make it real. (laughs) Spoilers, by the way, the Mr Bean movie is a monument of storytelling. Shouldn't be spoiled. I apologize. Giving away the twist. (laughs) (laughs)
0: um the uh the, the, another guy on this tour at the moment who's just joined for a little bit is is Dennis Nedry who's the the computer guy who's designed the systems we get a little bit in his head and this yeah. is just quite interesting because he's quite um Irritated with how things have gone because he's getting all the blame for the various bugs that are in the system at the moment. Um, But throughout the whole process, when he designed the system, no one would tell him what it was for. (laughs) So he's had to just basically work in the dark on this massive, super um, expensive and really ambitious system.
1: Yeah, that is a bit like somebody trying to invent a car that could drive, like a flying car. And employing the best mechanics in the universe, giving them a pair of tweezers each and a blindfold, and saying "carry on," and then <laughs> yeah. getting pissed with them when it turns out that they've made nothing worth driving. Like, yeah, yeah Nedry's supposed to be a horrible man, but I, I, I did feel for him a bit there.
0: I have to say. Yeah. Um, we visit the hatchery as well, where we this is we talked about this last time. The 0.4 percent survival rate of these animals, so basically one in what about more, more than 200 actually yeah. make it, yeah. um, and and then they visit the nursery as well, and they meet this little raptor baby, yeah. um, and and, uh, and none of these
1: cute. none of these things none of these things are the 199 out of 200 which die.
0: Mm. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Mm. I'm not quite sure I follow you, what do you mean?
1: Well, what are the odds of that? What are they going to do, just sort of like, fast forward time a little bit, go, oh yeah, that one's going to hatch alright, yeah. Go on, take that down to where we're looking to impress these people who could shut us down and lose us hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, like, how do they know? How do they
0: know that that what? How do they know that that it's
1: going to hatch? How do they know that it's going to, you know, that it's...
0: Well, it's a, it's a different one, I think. It's not a, It's not come out of the egg. Oh,
1: it? Yeah, no, but they, they go to the hatchery and they see him hatching, don't they? Or am I, am I
0: misremembering there? I think you might be combining the film with the oh, book. So in the oh. film, they see one hatch. In the book, they see all the eggs and they go into this nursery and one's oh, just sort of knocking about.
1: Oh, he's very smart. Very, very smart. <laughs> I, I do like that. Oh, All right. Ch- be- chalk it up one. That's me forgetting the book and the film and getting them mashed up in my head. That's the scoreboard one.
0: <laughs> that must be how you lost me then. I didn't want to you talking
1: <laughs> about. <laughs> oh, do you not remember the bit, Matt, where uh, where where you know the 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 hatching in front of them and it prince on John Hammond and then Vince
0: Vaughn spontaneously disappears and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, okay, well, um, so we oh we also hear while as. Tim and uh, Grant are, are looking at this little cute little raptor baby um they they find out a bit more about the control systems um in this park, and one is the fact that the animals can't breed because they've been sterilized yeah. Um, yeah which is one of the one of the ways they sort of control the population yeah um, moving on to control uh, it's quite interesting that as they're walking towards the control room Malcolm sort of quizzing him henry Wu on uh, on his You know who's which dinosaurs he's got, and he can't even remember exactly how many species they've got on the island at the moment because the so many of them sort of they hatch and fail, so he's not managed to keep track. Yeah, um, which is a surprise. Yeah. Um, Also, the um, these little compies, you know, the the ones that may or may not have escaped from the island. Yeah. It turns out they've got two massive squads of them, of about 25 each, basically to solve a very specific problem on the island, which is some of like the larger dinosaurs produce an enormous amount of shit. And <laughs> it turns out modern-day bacteria doesn't break it down very quickly. <laughs> uh,
1: now, how far down the line did they have to get, given how long it takes them to generate dinosaurs and so on? Mm. How much shit were they exporting from this island <laughs> before they went and engineered at a rate of one every 200 animals these 50 beasts that were going to help them with the waste disposal? Because that's <laughs> like, what, what is that, 50 times 200? That is a lot, is what that mm. is. 10,000, 10,000 animals they tried to grow
0: mm.
1: in order to get the 50 that they needed to deal with that whole situation. Mm. So they must have been shoveling it off they must have been... Like, there's no way that place can still be a secret at this point. Because every casual labourer all the way along the Costa Rican coast is going to have been shipped out there at some point for the
0: shit-shovelling season. <laughs> a new economic phenomenon on the <laughs> Costa Rican coast. Yeah. So they they, f- they fixed the problem eventually because they found out these compies, um actually eat shit, literally. Uh, so they... And then what and you know, the the waste they produce is A a lot smaller and B um breaks down a lot more easily. So they fix that problem. And he says there's no way they've gotten off the island because of two reasons. One, they've got a sophisticated counting procedure in the control room, which we'll see in a minute, and two, the lysine dependent. He's basically engineered them so they need uh this chemical to survive, which they Mm. provide which the sort of is provided in the food. Mm. Um and if they weren't to receive that, then they would die within 48 hours. So it seems pretty watertight. Um, Wu actually gets quite angry when Malcolm continues to press him as well. He says, you know, we're not idiots, we know what we're doing. So I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that The self-important
1: indignation of a man Who's just created dinosaurs Whose names he can't even remember and Then he's mm. like, how dare you call me A feckless amateur with a very low Level of engagement with the moral responsibilities That I have as a creator of life How, how very dare you Sir, <laughs> go and look At the dinosaurs, I can't tell you the names Because I never bothered to remember them <laughs>
0: Um, now, they're supposed to go into the control room at this point, but um, the, uh, there's a docking happening, literally, that's a, a, a boat's coming into dock. And this is a yeah. difficult, intense procedure, so they can't go in the control room at the moment, so they've got to leave that. So they go outside to visit the Raptor Pen, because these, are, as Ed Wedges says, <laughs> haven't been integrated into the park just
1: yet. <laughs> <laughs> More accurate to say, were integrated very briefly. mother and father of all fishing expeditions to get them back, I'll tell you
0: (laughs) yeah, Um, so they're just kept in a little pen at the moment Um, and, oh, one little thing as they're making their way to the raptor pen Grant has a chat with Tim again and it it, it says that Alan Grant really likes children and he loves how they sort of they're, um, uh, how they're always amazed by dinosaurs and stuff. Yeah. And this is just another little deviation from the film because in the film he, he hates kids, and this is yeah. part of the story it's about him coming round to yeah. that. Um,
1: yeah like i say i do i I do love this this kind of mentor mentee relationship that that he and tim strike up very quickly and that is really sweet Mm -hmm. and lovely to see but i think it's much better characterization in the in the film actually Mm because he goes on a journey about that and you have this whole you know image of the family thing which is a real steven spielberg sort of motif right you know makes families a lot in his films yeah and um uh so i yeah but i i I did like this a lot. I tell you the other interesting thing about that little reflection of mal of um grants is so you read this sort of when you were still a kid, really, like before you were a teenager, right
0: mm, yeah,
1: yeah, me too, and so I remember reading that passage and being like like when he says you know kids remember the names so so vividly, you know and so easily, mm. and when I was a kid, I was just like, yeah, of course I did yeah it, it's it's a diplodocus. Mm. It's it's a it's a Gallimimus. Like what's the this isn't difficult to do. Tyrannosaurus Rex. I'll be here all day. Apatosaur. <laughs> you know, um, and it was only it's only now as I come back to read it again as an adult, like a like a number of a plural decades after I first read this book, that I'm like that is really extraordinary. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. just just you know, like you know, your vocabulary the rest of the time really does not reach six syllable words. When it comes mm. to dinosaurs, you're all
0: like Dromomysiosaur. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, there was um, there was one, uh, one of my friends has got a, a four-year-old lad, and he said apparently he heard him because he watches Netflix a lot on his own now, and um, it was like he got up in the morning on a Saturday, and his lad was in front of the telly watching like a, um, it was it was a dinosaur program or a shark program. And it, and it was uh, the name of this monster was something like uh, Megasaurus or something. And he could just <laughs> stay from the living room. His, his son just, uh, <laughs> like, uh, repeated it, going, Megasaurus. Like, trying to remember it so oh, it could impress people later. Brilliant. <laughs> I just I,
1: I thought you were going to go a different direction there, because if he's not put the parental locks on, that could go south. <laughs> I said, he goes and watches Aww. Netflix by himself, and I heard him the next morning going, I'll kill you, motherfucker. I'll kill you <laughs> in the face. <laughs>
0: No, no, no. He, with he, apolo- he, he with has... apologies
1: to your mates, kid, uh, to your mate, obviously.
0: <laughs> he has managed to get the parental lock on. I, since, That's... No, I, you know
1: what that, that you know what that is? That is me projecting my incompetence onto somebody else. <laughs> I, I do not have children, but I'm fairly certain that I will I will forget to turn off the parental turn on the parental locks and it oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm deleting Game of Thrones, I tell you that for nothing.
0: <laughs> Uh, So they make their way to the raptor pen. Uh, They go past this goat enclosure. Wonder what that's for. (laughs) (laughs) I quite like how Malcolm just goes, maybe they feed them to the dinosaurs. I was like, "Mm." hmm. Maybe they do. Do you reckon? (laughs) Or maybe you're having mutton fatigue. I don't know. (laughs) Or goat's cheese. Um, (laughs) For the vegetarians (laughs) amongst us on this dinosaur tour. (laughs) Maybe the chef's really picky and he only has, like, fresh ingredients. That's amazing. I will only
1: use the funnest, the funnest God's cheese. (laughs) After I have the cheese, you can
0: feed it to the dinosaurs. I just don't care. (laughs) Um, So so they visit the raptor pen and... um, they basically get hunted from behind the fence, mm. and it's the old bait-and-switch. So, one... one, um, <laughs> the, the, Sorry,
1: the, the old bait-and-switch. Are you referring <laughs> to dinosaur hunting tactics as if they're like a well-known, <laughs> well-established trope of behaviour? Oh, the yeah. old raptor bait-and-switch. Yeah. The old when I say, girl.
0: <laughs> when I say the old bait-and-switch, I mean the prehistoric oh, bait-and-switch. Zing! <laughs> so, it's basically, yeah, there's one raptor stone at them, and then two others from either side actually attack and obviously they just hit the fence and then run away um it's this sudden like very violent shocking moment um and as you say as well the clever girl thing it's kind of the film lifts this very, very, a lot later on in the uh, uh in the story but um they sort of really shocked by this uh by this uh, attack mm. But uh, Malcolm says, "Oh, they don't look like the most intelligent of animals." And this guy who's come over to check they're okay, this worker, he just says, "Be glad for the fence, Señor." I just (laughs) like,
1: I I I do love that. I just I just have this this great. I just I can absolutely see how that would have gone down if it was on film. Yeah, you know, yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm also asks, um, you know, seeing as these things have come back to life and presumably haven't seen humans before, um how have they learned that humans are easy to kill and are worth hunting yeah oh that's fantastic isn't it you might as well you might as well have the
1: the band in the background going spooky music spooky music
0: <laughs> i'd be terrible uh, at making
1: film music i would sorry <laughs>
0: The, the next chapter is called Version 4.4. 4. This is quite an interesting chapter. So it's mm. basically Henry Wu and uh, John Hammond at uh, Hammond's bungalow. And they're talking... Wu's basically saying I'd quite like to improve the dinosaurs. No. Um, basically uh, let's get rid of all the ones we've got at the moment and create a better version. Because he says the ones we've got at the moment are as close to real as we can get. But... They don't look real enough. They're too fast and they're not what people are expecting to see. It's quite interesting when you think about how... You remember when Grant and Ellie were talking about forgeries and how yeah. the successful forgeries are the ones that show the scientists what they expect to see? Yeah, And yeah. there's an element of Wu being aware of that here, isn't there? Because yeah. cause these aren't real dinosaurs. And th- this is the point that Hammond won't understand and Wu can't quite explain these are the. Re- this is the closest to reality that could get, but it's still just sort of someone doing the best to colour in a faded painting.
1: Yeah, 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 very much.
0: And I do think there's this interesting thing, isn't there? Is like
1: the book. I quite like that the book's sophisticated enough to kind of raise all these questions about, um, you know, because ethics and hubris and and human self-importance and you know playing God and the rest of it. Um, but it's not dumb enough to raise them and then be like, right, so that's all sorted, then we've said that He mm. points out that somebody like Wu is perfectly well aware of the, the the ethical quandaries that exist, but when push comes to shove he's not capable of doing anything different than that. He's a puppet who sees the strings. Mm. Um, rather than being somebody who's really free to use his intelligence to kind of shape shape the outcomes.
0: Yeah. I mean Hammond says to Wu, you know, you're just getting cold feet and it's gonna be fine. And I do think He's right to an extent, Hammond. I think we're is just sort of just a little bit nervous now that yeah. it's not going to be good enough. But obviously, there's more to it than than what he, than, than what Hammond is is prepared to talk about here. Yeah. Um, we get a little bit of backstory of Henry Wu as well. But Harry was hired pretty much out of grad school. Um, Hammond came up to him and said, "You know, you don't want to waste your time at universities. That's not where the major discoveries are made anymore. You don't want to go through pharmaceutical schools because you get tied up in red tape." come and work mm. for me and actually achieve something and uh, that was his sales pitch which Wu obviously took on board the problem is now the dinosaurs are created and the method is well known and easily taught um, he's no longer needed as much and Hammond's no longer listening to him
1: yeah yeah and that I, I that kind of a thing reflects a bit on what what we were saying before is that like basically he's in the same trap as everybody else but he spent a lot on his education and wants to make some money out of it you know, mm. so when you know, the, it's the same dynamic as somebody who works at McDonald's. You know, mm. he's just on a higher salary, and I imagine the character of would be quite insulted to have that comparison drawn. But at the end of the day, like everybody else,
0: mm. he you know he goes where the money is. It's interesting. There was something Michael Crichton said about writing this book in that he um, he had an idea of bringing sort of you know the idea of bringing dinosaurs back, and uh, you know sort of a scientific twist on it how would humans cope and he said when he thought about how it would happen the only way he could imagine it happening is is this way for profit you know a big organization because you know nobody else anymore has the money universities don't have the money to fund this on a whim governments certainly don't have the money to divert to to divert to try and just sort of bring back a dinosaur for the sake of it because it doesn't serve any purpose for a government mm. so all that's left is just yeah it'll be done for profit that's where the power is these days
1: yeah well and that's both depressing and largely unarguable but I, I'm mm. not certain I quite like the way that like Hammond makes these little kind of these little smoke and mirrors arguments as though once as though he puts forward this argument very very forcefully and it's kind of like oh you know, the, you know there is no option but I'm not sure that there is quite so close a relationship as he imagines between. It's inevitable that only capital will, you know, will drive innovation in the future, and therefore I made a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and I'm mm. willing to take the risk of it eating my grandchildren. I think you need to do a bit of work there on the logical
0: inference. Hmm. Hmm. Um, we'll move on to control. We'll go back to that um, later in the story as well. Move on ah. to control. They finally get into the control room. I like this chapter. This chapter is really important actually because it sets out how they're controlling the park and you really have to buy this for the rest of the story to work, don't you? If you Mm. read this chapter control and think, oh, there are all manners of things here which are just waiting to go wrong, I don't think it's as good a read. I don't know what you thought when you read it, but I, I sort of was reading through... When I especially first read it when I was younger and even now, like trying to put myself in the present of it... Mm. It's hard to see, from the the point of view of the characters, just quite how any any of this could really fail. Um, Yeah, I mean, given that
1: they've decided to try and make an amusement park full of dinosaurs, Mm. they have done everything that you could conceivably do to kind of bring that under control, except pay their developer properly and not be a complete dickhead to the one person who has control over the the off-switch on mm. your supposedly fail-safe security systems. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, from a systems perspective, that's bollocks. Like, as if there's only one person on the island that can run this stuff, and as mm. if you've treated him poorly. Mm. <laughs> it's putting all of your eggs in a basket full of holes and then throwing it off a building. Like, <laughs> you know, from... So, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because, like, I'm usually fairly good at forgetting what I've read in order to read it again and kind of experience it afresh. But with mm. Jurassic Park, you know... You, the whole story is it goes wrong, right? So.
0: Yeah, yeah. so you're sort of waiting for it.
1: I am waiting for it. I'm trying, I'm trying, Matt, I'm trying.
0: You've got, um, in this in this bit, so Malcolm and Gennaro are both loving it. This is sort of their, I mean, especially Malcolm, this is his house, isn't it? He loves yeah. complicated systems, so yeah. he's, he's really enjoying poking and prodding it and seeing how it's all working. Grant's a bit sort of, this is just the opposite. He doesn't really get any of this stuff and is just there for the ride at this stage. Um, we meet the chief engineer, John Arnold, mm. who obviously in Jurassic Park is played by the now super famous Samuel L. Jackson, who was ah. fairly unknown when he had this role, actually. Samuel L. J. Was he? Hang on. Was yeah. it?
1: It was. It was the year before Pulp Fiction, wasn't it? Yeah. Tell you what, if it was the master. year after Pulp Fiction, there's no way he would have got this job. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, although, although, saying that, um, Michael Madsen was in friggin' Reservoir Dogs, and then the next year he was in Free Willy. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I read, I read an interview with him once where he was like, kids, kids used to run up to him and be like, Hey, it's you. You're the really lovely dad character from the thing. And their parents would be in the background going, do not talk to that man. Do not (laughs) talk to that man. He is a bad man (laughs) with a razor blade and he dances not to be trusted.
0: (laughs) Um, no, it's interesting in the book, John Arnold, um, obviously in the film is played by Samuel L. Jackson. So he's black. Mm. Um, he's not described as black or not in the book. Again, Mm. it's this, he's very, um, He's very economical with his character descriptions, isn't he, Michael Crichton? And I think this is how it, in some ways, can be a brilliant device. Because if you don't mention race at all, then Mm. it entirely depends on the reader. So you you can impose... You can just create your own versions of these characters. And it's not exclusive to anyone on a racial base anyway. Because... You know, there's just, just just as likely that John Arnold's black as Alan Grant is or Ian Malcolm.
1: Yes, yeah, that's true. Um, but I, I, you know, and we obviously populate the populate the text with the characters that we recognise from from the movies. And one of the mm. things I do like about Jurassic Park is that he's got Samuel Jackson because he's a great actor, not because mm. we need somebody to be black here, please. Mm. Um, yeah, which I, we uh, and obviously I like that, and I wish, wish we had more of that. To be mm. honest, um, but. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I do, I mean, I do wonder to what extent Michael Crichton only names the race of their character when they're not white.
0: You know? Mm, Yeah. yeah. There's probably an element of that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Okay. So, the, we get taken through a few of the systems. One of them is um, how they track the animals, and it's through a system of motion sensor cameras, which are used all the way through the park and, Every fifteen minutes, the basically the computer counts the animals, and um, if John, I'll, if anyone in the control room wants to actually see images of them all, it can bring them all up, and that's how they keep track of them. And I remember at the time when I first read this, thinking that was amazing. And mm. these days, it's slightly less impressive in the age of sort of GPS and trackers and things like that. Yeah, you think, well, of course you can track stuff; it's easy, yeah. and obviously with satellites and all this, obviously. Back then, when it's set, it's a little bit more groundbreaking and it's a little bit more limited in what it can do. Mm.
1: Yeah, 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 very much. And this is a great example of the sort of the heyday of the tech thriller where technology was just advanced enough to seem exciting, but not nearly advanced enough to completely ruin the plot structure of any story you might try and write. Because nowadays, Mm. almost every piece of tension could be unlocked by having somebody's phone number. And if not having their phone number, then going searching for their Google Plus profile, their Facebook profile, their profile on Twitter, tweeting them, finding them somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's yeah. now almost impossible not to have people connected if they don't want to be. Mm. And that that apparently, uh, you know, I'm told for people who kind of write scripts for TV and films and stuff, it's a complete fucking nightmare. Because you can either have them doing stuff in, like, the mid-80s just in 2012 clothes, or you know you can try and work out how
0: a plot can revolve around mobile phones mm. um, yeah yeah. I'm not sure how much mobile phone coverage you get on this island but then you could always just stick a tower on it couldn't you so yeah, yeah you're right yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be an oversight on them in a, in a sort of technically advanced, complicated system, if you weren't to include mobile phones. Uh, no.
1: oh, and that would get you the best TripAdvisor reviews in the universe, wouldn't it? Because, you, you know, if you pulled it off, if you genuinely astonished the world with actual frigging dinosaurs...
0: No Wi-Fi. And no Wi-Fi,
1: people would come back and be like, posting this review a few days after my visit, since there was no fucking Wi-Fi, one star... Tyrannosaurus Rex <laughs> is all very well, but without my Facebook and Pinterest, I'm not interested.
0: <laughs> yeah. Missed my goddaughter's birthday because I didn't see the Facebook update. <laughs> One star. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jurassic Park failed in its fundamental responsibility <laughs> to provide me with the ability to not really care, but look like I do from far away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so so this say they keep track of the animals, is uh, this... Uh, these motion sensors that cover 92% of the park um, and pictures of every dinosaur obviously on demand as well uh, there's moats, there are 10,000 volt fences to keep the animals in um, there's uh, equipment to get the animals back if they break out including the, all these sort of non-lethal things which I think were used in Jurassic Park World rather recently mm. um, There was this, there's this team who try and recapture a dinosaur through non-lethal means and I'll get um, yeah, annihilated. Yeah. Um,
1: Jurassic World was basically I I think the genesis of Jurassic World is somebody looked at the preceding two books and went, somehow we still haven't used all of the plot points that were put into those two <laughs> yeah, novels. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's just put it all together. Put Chris Pratt on it, make a million. Well make <laughs> make, as it turns out, nearly two billion dollars.
0: Yeah. Um apparently this the system is is effectively tamper proof from the outside because it's not on as opposed to it's not on whatever version of the internet existed at this stage <laughs> um so you can't be remotely accessed it says by by modem by dial up um mm. which would take a take a while to bring a system down through dial up these days wouldn't it okay. um and they've they've, they've sort of, the, the dinosaurs have they've sort of, they've tested these systems a little bit the counting system for example uh, the the has gone off when dinosaurs have died in the past because when a dinosaur stops moving it disappears so mm. it shows that it has been working in the past. Mm. Um, it's interesting that uh, Arnold is questioned about, you know, the dangers of keeping dinosaurs, you know, how are you managing to stop them getting out? And he later on says that the problem they've had isn't that they've had a lot of problems, but it's not about keeping the dinosaurs in it's actually about keeping them alive and looking after them because yeah. they're really really vulnerable at living yeah. in this sort of 200 million years later or whatever yeah, um, yeah. or 65 million years whatever and yeah. um, he says this lovely example where he says we, we even cleaned the dinosaur's teeth he said you, you should see that one day where the sort of the workers go out and scrub the tyrannosaurus rex's teeth with this massive <laughs> toothbrush <laughs> No yeah. I, t-
1: I tell you what tell you what is is a a, a job for grown-ups there floss
0: <laughs>
1: scrubbing is one thing but imagine getting right up in between all of those different teeth and getting all getting the chunks oh, of yeah. goat out <laughs> Ch- chunks of goat and self-important new york city lawyer out from in between those incisors <laughs> couldn't pay me a million to do it
0: yeah Um, There's also a mention of how they're going to control all the rides when they come on because they've got a number of rides planned for the park and Grant is sort of horrified at this prospect because he wants it to be as sort of zoo-like and serious as possible, really. I've got to admit, 10-year-old Matt was loving that. I couldn't wait (laughs) to see what the rides would be as well. (laughs) (laughs)
1: oh man they would have like they would have done a thing though they would have tried to get the the dinosaurs to interact with the rides so you you would have had sort of like them trying to work out a way for them to sort of like rear up and snap dramatically at um at the roller coaster as it goes past yeah (laughs) you have a goat (laughs) strapped to the side of a roller coaster just so the (laughs) t-rex will go for it
0: See t- say I would at age ten would have been well up for the Dino Coaster. that they have been amazing. The Dino
1: Coaster. But, uh, next to Trice what was it? Triceratops uh tree. Territory, territory. territory. <laughs> that's right. Triceratops territory and stegosaur swamp yeah, and yeah. uh and <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's kooky, isn't it? Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> um so Gennaro uh it leaves saying, Oh, this is great. It looks like the system works. It's pretty much watertight. And Malcolm's like... no, I'm <laughs> Five
1: I, minutes I, standing in a computer room. Yeah, seems legit. Seems, I'll take my millions of dollars now, thanks. Done my due diligence.
0: Yeah, but Malcolm's like, no, no, no. They're, they've got out. The animals uh, are off the island. And Janelle Genaro says, how can you possibly know that? Malcolm points to... There's an interesting point he makes here, Malcolm. That... um. Mm. The, they show them a graph of the compies of, like, the height differentiation, mm. and it shows a normal sort of natural, so you've got sort of a, a curve, which makes sense in most natural places, mm. and that's what they're, they're expected to see, and it shows that it's right, but Malcolm says that shows that it's wrong, yeah. because it isn't a natural setting. You yeah. shouldn't get a natural graph in in the kind of place they've created, and no one seems to have realised that. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll find out more about that later on but uh, again Malcolm is pretty convinced still He's sticking to his theory despite all evidence to the contrary at the moment that the park is, is not operating properly
1: he is convinced and convincing and how many other techno thrillers feature a major character making a major plot point out of inaccurate graphing hmm. gold <laughs> fucking gold who else has the stones to do
0: that excellent <laughs> uh, so we move on to the tour again uh, so this is the tour of the park and uh, Grant uh, S- uh, Sattler Gennaro and Malcolm go in the first car Ed Regis Tim and Lex go in the second couple of interesting points here well one this is where I suddenly thought oh hang on a minute this is deviating because Gennaro yeah. in the film gets in the car and gets on the bog and gets eaten
1: yeah so what's happening here and That's that's the bit you remember because it's funny when somebody gets eaten when they're on the toilet
0: yeah, and I was thinking here at this stage, is Ed Regis destined for toilet-based horrific humour? <laughs> is, <laughs> is simply red got to go out in? <laughs> 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 we will have to see. <laughs> no, you've um, given me a
1: horrifying image of Mick Hucknall sitting on the shitter, looking down <laughs> the nose of a T-Rex. You bastard! <laughs> You're a horrendous human being, Matt. I hope you're proud of yourself. <laughs> He's just sitting there, money's too tight to mention. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you had to, didn't you? You had to, you had to pick the perfect song for Mick Hucknall sitting on the bog, having a crap.
0: Thank <laughs> anyway, uh, he, he, he mind that even depend on, on the toilet because this is the book. And, um, obviously anyway, in any case it's Gennaro, um, and not this character who isn't even in the film, who ends up yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, they start the tour, and um, <laughs> it's quite funny because Ed Regis says, oh, we can listen in to what's going on in the other car, switches on the radio, just in time to hear a massive argument um, where Gennaro's swearing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he, he gets he gets towed off by Ed Regis. And I think actually this might be the reason why sort of 10-year-old me suddenly related to Gennaro, because he's mm. sort of, being a bit naughty and getting told off and you love that when you're a kid seeing an adult do that don't you (laughs) that's
1: that you know what actually i was gonna i was gonna mock that but now you mention it i think you're right i think like like genera is a completely reprehensible character but only when you're a grown-up and you know how grown-ups are supposed to act from that perspective Mm. all you need is somebody getting told off and you're like solidarity solidarity brother
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, I could relate to it, being sold off for swearing. So I was like, yeah, my kind of guy, Gennaro. Not so much with the sexism. I was too young to, to relate to that. So, um, yeah. Um, they see some of the first animals on the tour, including, oh, goodness, here we go. um Hipsilofidants? Hipsilofidants? <laughs> That's as close as I'm getting. I'm not. I'm not checking that
1: one. I, uh, and- yeah, and I'll tell you, I'm not about to try it because you, you're you're in the seat where you have to try and come up with pronunciations for these. <laughs> I just go the dinosaurs, the big ones, like in like in the yeah. Lost World movie. I'm Pete Pothawthway going. There yeah, Elvis, the Pompadour, <laughs> there, there him over there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to try that one again. You see, if I was ten, I'd get these straight away. Um, but they the, the seem to be uh, oh, known Matt. as hipsies for sure. Sick,
1: anyway. sick transit, Gloria est, tempus mm. fugit. None of mm. us can remember how
0: to pronounce hipsilidophyldonta bap. Yeah, those ones. There are also othrinelias in the trees, which are these are the smaller dinosaurs that seem to jump from branch to branch. Um This is different from the film as well because the first exhibits a success. You know they all turn up and it's quite cute, and to see them yeah. all in and, yeah. and the film, the are sort of just some no show. Yeah, um, you two,
1: yeah, yeah. I actually, inspired by the first by the first round of uh, by the first episode of this, I went and looked at a few a few classic scenes from Jurassic Park on YouTube, and I damn near ended up watching the entire film just by <laughs> just because everything's a classic scene. But one of the ones I watched early on was um, Jeff Goldblum's peerless asshole behavior, knocking on the camera. <laughs> Yeah. you do intend to have some dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour right <laughs> hello and then just john hammond close to tears just like <laughs> i really hate that man
0: <laughs> yeah classic anyway it's works in the book they, they've turned up the dinosaurs which this helps yeah. um we go back to the control room uh muldoon robert muldoon this uh who's the guy the warden the park warden who we haven't really been introduced to yet. He's just sort of brooding in the corner. He just gets slowly introduced. I think the first time he's it, the, there's the docking going on and he's all stressed. Yeah. The second time he's just sort of standing in the corner, looking a bit like a badass, mm. um, but not announcing his presence yet. Yeah. Um, we get we get to find out a bit more about John Arnold, a bit of his background. Turns mm. out he he built some of the rides at Disney World. And um, there you go. He's, he's a bit. He's got a bit of. He's got a bit of a reputation as a serial worrier. <laughs> um, and he says that basically we've got all the problems of a major park, like a theme park, and a mm. major zoo rolled into mm-hmm. one, oh, and the dinosaurs are all, you know, hundreds of millions of years old. And out of their um, natural habitat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's. I thought it was really interesting to see just the massive difference of how he is when he's just on his own with the other staff, yeah. and when he was talking to the people who were assessing the park and it was all sunshine and rainbows.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because you don't want to be seen to be in charge of something that's failing, right? Oh no, no, no yeah. yeah you, you know, you you put the best possible spin on it, but you're right. You know, and it does speak a little bit to the kind of how much people how much people are willing to keep behind their teeth until it all blows up in their faces. Mm. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. So um, we uh, so he t- he talks about some of the problems as well, which are quite interesting. Uh, the the belief still from John Hammond is that these animals eventually are trainable, like any other animals are, hmm. um, which is a logical thing to think. But yeah. you know, there's not really any logic you can make with these animals because they're so well exactly they're so far yeah. removed from anything we know. You know, yeah. and that's the point that they make here.
1: Yeah, very much. Um, but again, another idea which is, was stolen wholesale for the plot of um, Jurassic World. Like, I hadn't hmm. realised how rich in plot ideas this particular bit is.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I do like that about the about the new film. How it, you know, it reaches back and 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 does it, like take some of the good ideas that haven't been used yet from the book. And mm-hmm. you, you're right; it's such a rich book for that, isn't it? For ideas. Yes, nice. um, there are also a number of problems with the system which Nedry is uh, trying to fix. He's basically. It turns out he's not normally there now. He's just set it up and left. Um, and John and John Arnold knows how to operate most of the systems to keep it running. But um, mm. he's come in on a sort of a weekend fixing mission and suddenly realised that the list of problems is far longer than he ever expected. Um, I quite like the... My favourite problem, my favourite bug, is to do with the auto-poop uh, system, <laughs> which is, is basically designed to check for parasites and, like, the animal's shit. Yeah. And um, it, it seems that... There's a bug in it, so it always thinks that the animals have got this parasite, which I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Oh, um,
1: Matt. You, no, you can't tap out of that fight. That's that's what Jurassic Park's about.
0: Okay. Fagotonum venulosum. You had that
1: ready to go, didn't you? I, I <laughs> walked directly into <laughs> your go. trap. You were prepared.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I just read it off the page. You oh, see, professional,
1: it. Anyway. Matt.
0: Professional. Yeah. Sounded out. Um, then, so it, it accidentally finds this uh this virus or pyrocyte and then automatically dispenses the medication and if the handlers remove the medication manually an alarm goes off (laughs) and they can't switch it off and it's (laughs) just the most it just it really spoke to me this because it's just sort of i've had the experience where there's all this like system which works a certain way and if you fall out of it and something doesn't work then all the like the, the backup systems make it even harder to get right. It's so annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you throw in shit as well, and it can't be funnier, surely. Yeah. Um, they've had a lot of problem with waste, haven't they? With animal waste. It seems to be one of the major issues they've had, When you take, take into account the comfy problem as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, there's a, a couple of other animals that they see. Um, the Dilophosaurus is one of them. Uh, and the Triceratops—that's uh, the one we can all pronounce, eh? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a famous one from the film. And uh, it looks like the Tyrannosaurus Rex is coming up next, which uh, is oh yeah, I was I was ready for this now. By this stage, I was like, bring it on! And then you turn the page to the next chapter, and it's called Big Rex. And you're like, oh yes, yes. it's going to get a proper introduction. This this one. Um, so out, like it's Big Rex is a late dinosaur. Uh, do you remember the Kumpies were 220 million years ago? Yeah. The Rex was uh, about 115 million years later. So I think, actually, he's um, almost as close to us as he was to the Kumpies.
1: And it, um, That, I have to tell you, for some reason, this is a very powerful way of getting me to understand geological time. Right? Yeah. Because, I mean, cause from where we're sitting, it's sort of like like how a mile in distance can be very short if you're looking at it. On the horizon, you know, it's just yeah. uh, you know it all looks the similar distance, you know, and our brains just can't conceive of that amount of time. But that's that's just completely unbelievable that there were these animals that were that complicated that long ago, and they completely died, and a whole mm. different kind of life grew up to replace them from almost from like the simplest most first principles, mm. and that that has happened like five times on, yeah. in, in the planet's history. I, I, I appreciate that I'm getting a bit of Brian Cox here. But still, that's fucking incredible. That's just absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah. When I was little, there was this... You should probably guess, I was into dinosaurs. There was this dinosaur program we used to always watch. And it was um, like this little documentary. And one, the way that the presenter explained sort of <clears throat> that time passage... Yeah, it shows how long ago it was. He stood in front of the World Trade Centre yeah. and he sort of said right this is the cretaceous and it's sort of this big green bar goes up to like halfway up the the, the skyscraper yeah here's the jurassic here's the triassic whatever and then like here's the bit with mammals and then here's our entire human history and it's just this little sliver yeah, at the it's very ridiculous, top isn't it? it's and just actually, amazing isn't it's, it um
1: michael Crichton gets into that in the next book as well he has he has the characters sort of discuss." Like, how little time humanity have been around. And makes mm. the great point that they're like, you know, I think there's a line, let's not put on airs, you know, some some apes have been around for 150,000 years, humans, 38, mm. if that. And and 38,000 years is a long time ago. But yeah. compared to how long a T-Rex was around for, just yeah. incredible. Just absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah. Because um, I think the, um, like, even closer to us, Neanderthal, Sort yeah. of sort of the cousins or if you like of Homo sapiens, mm. so like the ones that were almost us, but not were have been a re- had been a have sort of had a longer time at it than we've had so far, oh, and they're seen as like they they're, they're seen largely as sort of this failed species aren't they? yeah um anyway we're getting off the point, so we 're onto the Tyrannosaurus rex let's get on with that um <laughs> yes. So, so, so That's a sign on... of age, isn't it? I get
1: distracted <laughs> by the reality of geological time instead of going T Rex in the face! T Rex in the face! With the yeah. teeth! T Rex in the face!
0: <laughs> so they're sitting on this hill. Um, the, the, the Land Rovers are parked on this hill above the. Uh, just looking out. It's apparently a really good view. Actually, Ed Reggie says, you know, I like to come out here, sort of sunset, just sit here sometimes. Um, yeah. oh, I, reckon he, I reckon he sort of composed stars when he was when he was yeah. there, like um, <laughs> and No he sat there
1: making right tweaking his C V and writing new letter, new covering letters for jobs. Dear sir, <laughs> I am a public relations professional
0: <laughs> Yeah. Underscore three times. <laughs>
1: Underscore three times, please give me a job and take me away from the hashtag undisclosable project.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um it turns out like there are two tyrannosaurs. One is that oh, there's the big one. And then there's the juvenile, the little, the little T-Rex. Little T-Rex. Which is just, yeah, just the eight feet tall. Um So that just gives you, again, a sense of scale. Yeah. Um, so, the... not laugh. The, the, so this goat gets brought in. <laughs> just, I've, I've just written here, oh, the poor little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> he comes in. I quite like how this is the callback to the massive pen of goats as well. Yeah. I kind of imagine it being like some kind of the the T-Rex dining out at like a posh like lobster restaurant or something. <laughs> he, he's just, he wandered over to the goat pen and just kind like, like nodded towards the one
1: he wants. <laughs> the <bride> <laughs> <of him. laughs> Sitting there mentally naming them all so they would taste all the sweeter when he ate them.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this goat turns up. And they're like, oh, here it comes. I don't think, does the, hang on a minute. Oh yeah, so the the Rex actually arrives later on, doesn't he? So yeah. the goat just appears now. Yeah. We're back into the control room then. And we do get the introduction to Muldoon. Muldoon played, obviously, in the film by, is it Bob Peck? Oh yes. Um, absolutely. And, and I he was my favourite character in the film. Oh, um, I, and he would be, wouldn't he? Right? Yeah. Because he's just a badass with a gun. Yeah. The the thing that the, the strange thing here and this is where I I imagine him as he's described in the book now when I'm reading the book yeah for the most part. But um I remember this another example when I was reading it as a child f- <laughs> just furiously trying to banish this line of him having a massive tash from my head because he's clean-shaven <laughs> in the film. <laughs>
1: somehow in all the times i've read this book i've completely missed that because i just put bob peck's face on his body and and have done with it but you're telling me that michael crichton demands that instead of imagining bob peck i imagine tom Selleck. he
0: he, he's described um as i think almost like a sort of victorian era british empire explorer in africa he's got the tash he's got the sort of khaki outfit you know, he's just this sort of badass adventurer. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, obviously, thank he's, God he's, he doesn't
1: have the uh, casual racism inherent, as I understand it, to the social norms of that era. Because that yeah. that that would have been uncomfortable, wouldn't it? He was a really realistically been. sketched, you know.
0: Yeah, it would have uh, added an extra element of spice to the interaction between him and the chief engineer, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah,
1: but yeah, Samuel L. Jackson would have walked off with it. I don't care how much of a legend Bob Peck is, Samuel
0: L. Jackson's more of one. Yeah. Anyway, um Muldoon uh, is under the impression that some of the dinosaurs are too dangerous to have around, basically. He's talking yeah. about the raptors for the most yeah. part. Yeah. Um and he thinks they should be destroyed. This is it seems that there's been a bit of a tug of war between the company and made mainly John Hammond uh and on one side probably with Henry Wu as well and Muldoon on the other um, Muldoon's basically safety first if the dinosaur's dangerous enough let's just kill it yeah. the uh, there's this the Dilophosaurus as well the, the, obviously we heard that it's poisonous from on the tour yeah. turns out they didn't realise this until a handler was almost blinded when the Dilophosaurus was spitting um, and they had to <clears throat> put these like wash stations all around the, uh, the, the the pens and stuff after that yeah and They've not been able to find... They were supposed to remove the sack, the poison sacs from them, but they yeah. can't work out where they are, and they can't genetically get rid of them because um, oh, they're not sure where they are. So, I mean, that might be that might be worth bearing in mind as well when we get on to the... We've sterilised all the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway... Um, oh, and apparently the raptors are one of those animals that are traditionally you know, notorious cage breakers. Yeah. They're intelligent and we just get a bit more colour as to why these why these guys are being kept in a pen on their own. Why yeah. they're so dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Um and we also get an explanation as to this Raptor breakout was why the lodgers had this fairly dramatic refits with the <laughs> with the big thick yeah. bars. <laughs> and also uh, I love this tug of war between Muldoon and Hammond, because it got to the stage where Muldoon had to threaten to leave and take his story to the press to get two missile launchers on the on the island because he wanted some serious weaponry just in case things go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, it's um. This is why he's so likable because he's right, isn't he? He's like Malcolm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you like the characters who are right and who are who are ignored.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, back at the tour. And we have the arrival of the Rex. Here it comes. The Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, <inaudible> <and it> killed- <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah. It kills this goat, poor poor little bastard. Um and then it sort of stops over its kill and looks around. And apparently this is something that has stuck around for millions of years, because it's what lions do in like in Africa as well. Yeah. Where they because um <clears throat> Because animals are so hard to kill, it turns out, even herbivores um once they get one, they're suddenly worried that another animal's gonna come and steal the kill, so they suddenly stop. I quite like how they say historically people like used to assume that it was because the animal felt guilty, yeah, um, after killing something, yeah, right, I...
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's I... like it's that classic is it anthropomorphizing that that, that
1: is the word for it. I, I, oh, <laughs> that's our word look, of the day isn't it <laughs> look at that anthropomorphization there we are
0: <laughs> the word of the day you've all learned something there uh anthropomorphizing yeah, there we go yeah. Yeah. i think what, i want to be careful
1: about pitching our brand tent too firmly on that particular piece of real estate so i'm not sure we can
0: we can follow up on that and consistently educate as well as entertain <laughs> yeah that's what happens when you see your cat looking at the telly when Coronation Street's on and you think that he's enjoying watching Coronation Street. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? He's not. He's looking at the moving, the, the moving images. He's just thinking about different ways he'd eat you if he was bigger than you. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, most of the people watching it aren't enjoying it, so the cats have got no chance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so, then the, uh, the the sort of... the Once the, the Rex carries the kill off, this uh, little voice comes over the tannoy, uh, Richard Kiley... Spared no expense. Saying, ladies and gentlemen, Tyrannosaurus Rex. And you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> and then you see Gennaro's wiping his forehead, looking pale. I'm not surprised, considering what happens to him in the film. <laughs> I'm <laughs> shitting it too. <laughs> well, you think he's hearing the echoes
1: of it across the... Possibility space. I've heard somewhere in the universe, the multiverse of stories and reality, that this does not work out well.
0: I love that idea. I absolutely love that idea. That's why he's looking a bit pale. There's this sort of feeling coming across through the multiverse. Something tells
1: me that hundreds of millions of people have played hundreds of millions of dollars to watch this going badly
0: for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the final chapter for today. We're back with control again, and um, over the intercom now you can hear Gennaro basically <laughs> shit in his pants, <laughs> just <laughs> saying about how dangerous it would be if this thing got loose. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not had the effect that Hammond was hoping for. Yeah, his, <laughs> his lawyer has noted directly
1: them. to type, hasn't he? <laughs> just being like the 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 liability, John, the health and safety man, the health and safety. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and both Hammond and Henry Wu just can't believe the negativity. <laughs> They're like, "This is ridiculous." We've just seen the greatest sort of predator on earth, and all they can think about is what's going to happen if it gets out. Yeah. Um, uh, but Muldoon shares the concern because um, this sort of reminds him to um, about how dangerous they are. I suppose I don't know. It just sort of pushes him to go downstairs to the like armory area. And check everything's there. You can see. I quite like how it's just this sort of. He's got this nervous energy, hasn't he, Muldoon? He's he, he's really he's quite really quite nervous about how this is going, mm. and he's in instinctively is not comfortable. And it manifests itself in him going down to the armory, takes this launcher, sticks it in the boot, and sort of wanders back up. Which in hindsight turns out maybe a bit of a schoolboy error. But... <laughs> You know, that because he got it in a secure place, and they've just moved it to a less secure. But he's thinking, I suppose, speed. Yeah. If things yeah, go yeah. south, I yeah. need to be ready as soon yeah. as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, would you, would you, so, I mean, did you think this was a bit of a strange episode for him just to suddenly decide to do this? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's, there's no denying that is a questionable
1: decision. But I mean, you could be forgiven for sort of being knocked sideways a bit by the, you know, the. the, the dramatic changes of uh, in, in world view that you're experiencing hmm. that is after all a T-Rex over there, after that maybe everything seems reasonable
0: yeah, and I think it's the fact that um, they've always known that the animal's out there because they go out and feed it and stuff but this is the first time People have gone out in the cars for goodness knows how long, and it's yeah. just bringing the sort of the immediacy home to these people again as well.
1: Absolutely, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and we've seen before the, the, the almost astonishing kind of standoffishness of um, of you know Henry Wu, the guy who made the dinosaurs, not knowing how many he has, and everybody just kind of wanting to look at a dashboard and be told what they want to hear in terms of that graph and the rest of it. And mm-hmm. so it's just yeah you know whatever. So there there definitely is this kind of you know return to earth with a bump, or perhaps take off take off with a rattle. You know, as people start to actually really experience again. Oh yeah, there's fucking dinosaurs. That's mm. n- notable.
0: Yeah. Uh, the the cars continue along to sauropod swamp. They're going to go and see the like bigger uh, big brachiosaurs. And suddenly this animal runs past the car and Mm. Tim sort of sees it, glances at it, like as it shoots past. And he thinks it's a juvenile, like a small velociraptor and the people in the control room are sort of, no, it can't possibly be that. Yeah. Um, and they think the only explanation is possibly it's an Oathie, you know, these little things that jump around in the trees. He says they're always, they're always jumping the fences. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> and I love that he's
1: very standoffish, and very kind of very casual about that as well. Like, oh yeah, some of the dinosaurs they just leap the fences. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, well, and they don't die. But but apparently it's enough to keep in a T Rex. <laughs> mm? mm? Slight yeah. failure
0: there, I think. I suppose if they jump from tree to tree and you have got two trees next to the fence, just cut the tree down. But anyway,
1: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but how do you, how do you go around putting together that work group now? I need a volunteer. <laughs> Stay with
0: me. <laughs> Why don't you switch the fences off? Switch the fences off. Have you any idea what's in there? <laughs> no. What I need you to do
1: is to crawl through the fence. Stay with me. Holding a long metal saw and deal with that tree the way God intended. When there's a T-Rex around.
0: I love the idea of them. Let's just do it. Let's just. You be the construction guy, right? Well, right. So we we drive out to the fence there's this 10,000 volt fence there on so I've got this uh, oh hi hi, uh, hi Gutierrez how's it going <laughs> um, we, so nah, we've got this uh, old son. we've got this chainsaw there are a lot of branches just overhanging the fence there so we're going to need you to just go up and just just chop those down if you can do that for us <laughs> is that alright Gutierrez Ah, <laughs> uh, uh. C- don't do the accent. <laughs> you don't C- have to do the accent.
1: <laughs> I wasn't about to do the accent. I could. I think it should be perfectly clear that any Spanish I speak, accented or not, will be appalling. So, <laughs> <laughs> I just. Nope. I wish there was some way to kind of to kind of express in sound like the 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 feeling of just like looking around, swiveling your eyeballs all the way around, looking for any way out of this palpably <laughs> ludicrous situation. You want me to you to
0: in right. Can I quit? Is that something I can do? Yeah. That's way it's like it'd be, it'd be like, uh there's it's a ten thousand volt fence and if I go near it I'm gonna get electrocuted with ten thousand volts and I'll die. <laughs> and like happens just like mm. So there's absolutely no way you could possibly do that then, is like, like no <laughs> <laughs> <Of> course not. <laughs> um <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, so they they're obviously not that bothered about the oath he's getting out because they're fairly harmless anyway, they've just got to go and get him back every so often. Probably good practice for uh <laughs> for him. But um Who knows what it is? Tim is adamant that it's a, a raptor. Mm. But anyway. Mm. And just at this at this point as well, uh this ship that's uh that's currently docked um, in the harbor in the sort of the mini harbor is leaving early because there's a storm coming in, and they have to they can't unload the rest of the equipment that they've got which they ne- which they could kind of need uh, because they've got to get away early. And when Hammond moans about this, John Arnold's like, "Well, it's because you wouldn't pay for a storm barrier, so your docks exposed, so ships won't stay very long." Yeah, I just quite like that because. Early on in the chapter, when they're talking about you know the voiceover artist for the CD-ROM, they're going on about yeah. hey they've spared no expense. Yeah. Whereas when it's comes to sort of the safety of the harbour, they've just yeah. haven't bothered. The basic it.
1: systems that make the park run, they've spared every conceivable expense. I'm, I'm surprised the buildings aren't made out of papier mâché. Like mm. it's just it's. I mean, again, you know, I come back to the idea that they've they've only bothered to have one developer. He's never been on site before, and they've got him mm. in to fix these. Unbelievably complicated systems over a fucking weekend. What? Yeah. <laughs> is, yeah. yeah. Just come out for three days, Danny. It's probably you know what. I, take Friday afternoon as well. To be honest with you, I mean, you, you might need a bit longer, but just to make sure it all gets done. But it's definitely a weekend's worth of stuff, anyway. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it how like almost everything's automated as well. They say they can run the park with twenty people, and again, yeah. it feels like they're just saving money. Only if it fucking functions, though. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that. Well. Yeah. That's what I mean. But they. Yeah. It seems one of the one of the main considerations when it comes to the backroom running of it is save save money where you can because we're spending it all on Richard Kylie. <laughs> 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 right
1: on Richard Kylie, just for a moment. Do you know who Richard Kylie is? No, um, All I yeah, know well, is that he
0: must be expensive yeah, because he's name checked <laughs> in both the film and the book. <laughs> exactly, spared
1: no expense, absolutely no, <laughs> except. In hiring an actor who apparently is unheard of outside of the United States, <laughs> um, I'm actually I'm going to look that up. I'm going to give me a second. Is he is a real guy? Live,
0: maybe. live Wikipedia ring. I'm sorry if you're a big Richard Kylie supporter and you really like his work. Like, well, yeah, whatever is work it, it may be. It's our sour just. Oh, you see now I feel bad
1: now because he, he died in 1999. But but he he was he <laughs> oh, was an American no. stage and television and film actor. Twice won the so, Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical, created the role of Don Quixote in the original 1965 production of *Man of La Mancha*. I, I'll level so with you: there's not a lot on this list that I actually recognise here. He was in. He was in Patch Derek, Adams. Come on. He, he was in Patch Adams. He was in, in Patch Howard Adams.
0: the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> he was in. I don't know it. Is 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 sixteen years long enough to pass before you can just laugh at what? a man's career? For Patch Adams,
1: jeez, <laughs> have you ever seen it?
0: Yeah, is it with Robin Williams as it a was, child? Yeah. Like as a half an child. hour after yeah, yeah.
1: after I walked out of the movie theater, it was it wasn't too soon. <laughs> to have to have a go at that, my word. He was, however, he was the voice in in the tour voice in Jurassic Park, but he followed that up by being in the John Travolta vehicle phenomenon. So
0: you'd have you'd have to say <laughs> he was in a TV movie on Columbo, though. Are you so. trying to suggest that the maker of Jurassic Park did spare expense with the choice of voiceover <laughs> writers as well? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't dream. I wouldn't dream, because
1: you, rem- you remember the, the voice on the on the interactive CD-ROM, you know, all, all chocolate-rich. Brilliant. Great casting. I'm just saying he made some more questionable choices around that film, including well, Howard the Duck, Patch Adams, Phenomenon, and Columbo, colon, A Friend Indeed.
0: Right. So that's Well that's Richard Kiley everything you didn't know and wish you did about, about Richard. Ah yeah, you get more um,
1: bounce to the ounce with Shark Liver Royal I'll yeah. tell you.
0: Yeah. Uh, this, this chapter ends with them reaching a, a Stegosaurus and um, and that's where we stop for today. So we're, we're very much this this part has been the things going well, checking the tour bit. It can't, it can't last much longer, this, can it? Everything's gone too well for too long here. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah.
1: No chance, no chance of that at all.
0: <laughs> well, if you're reading along with us for next week, read from Stegosaur as far as a chapter called The Park, rather mysteriously. Mm-hmm. Um, shall I give you a page reference for that, just in case? Yeah, yeah, saw me out. Just give you an idea. Yeah, um, yeah it's roughly page two... It's page two hundred thirty in my version and it starts the portable generator sputtered and roared into life. So that's as far as we're going. Alright. For next week. Yeah. Have you enjoyed this part though, Dave? Have you oh, enjoyed the much. tour very when much. the animals are still in the very much in the pens? On
1: on which they've spared no expense. Yeah, hmm. uh, it's good for a giggle, isn't it? Um hmm. uh which I'm I'm not certain is the review that Michael Crichton was hoping for when he wrote the thing. But <laughs> that's what I've got for him. <laughs> I look, but I am. I, I think we've made the ballsy decision here to have two episodes before shit gets real. But mm. presumably that means that next time shit's going to get real. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's, excellent. If
0: you if you are reading if you're somehow reading this for the first time, it is about to go off the deep end. So buckle up um, for part three of uh, of our read through of Jurassic Park. But that's coming next week. Uh, if you've got any comments on the book or the podcast, as ever, send them to Podcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Twitter at sharkliverroyal. We're there for you on Twitter as well. No. Don't worry about that. No. Until then, Dave. Stay safe. Stay inside the vehicle.
1: <laughs> you, okay. won't good, you won't do any good,
0: Matt. It won't do any good. That's the regulations. Spoilers. <laughs> See you next time. Please.